Um, just two quick things uh, for today. Uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace starts March the 15th. It's Wednesday, $60 per couple. It includes um, all of the materials. Uh, there's child care. Um, so all of it goes together. To find out more about it, you could go online, go to that QR code, and it'll help you with it too. I do need to explain this one thing. In um, the end of last year, I think it was October, November, we talked about this would be coming in 23. And I said this, Dave Ramsey's ministry allows you to buy a license. And if you purchase the license, then you can give it to free, for free to all the people in your church. Um, and I said we wanted to do that as an investment. That was true in 2022. <laughs> Guess what's not true in 2023 that they did not tell us is that that changed December 31st. And what they're doing now is you still pay a fee but it is for, um, it's just for the right to use the material, basically, uh, is my understanding. And then um, there's a charge that goes back. What we're doing, $60 per couple, includes all of, it's the child care, it's the materials, uh, all that you would need. We're actually supplementing that to keep the cost down. How many of you agree you should have some skin in the game when you're investing in something? Love to give it to you for free if we could do that, but it got changed on us. So I don't want you to think, I thought Pastor John said he's going to give it to us for free. That was my intention, but it changed a little bit. Um, who's the class for, right? Who, who should take this class? So we have said that uh, it is one of the more important things you can learn if you're married. And I don't think it's for newlyweds. I think it's for people who never have gotten into unity over that issue in your marriage. It's one of the big four and I think that you need to do that. But I don't see that being only the primary person it's for. Here's who I really think it's for. If you want to learn to do better as a steward for the Lord with what he's put into your hand, then this is the kind of information that you would want to be a part of. Now, you may go, hey, I, I think I do pretty good at that. I, I think we always need to be learners our entire life. The day you decide to quit learning is the day you kind of are giving up on uh, any ability to grow and any ability to change and any ability to see new things. And I believe that God will have new things for you uh, in that. So I want to encourage you with that. I think it will be important. And I think it's something, if you've been praying, Lord, bless our finances, bless this peace. I know this. A lot of times when we say, in fact, I'll talk about it in just a second. We're like, Lord, bless me, bless me, bless me. I think it is God's intention to bless you. But generally when you say bless me, he'll give you an assignment. And we don't want the assignment. We want to skip over the assignment and go right to the blessing. The assignment is necessary so that the blessing doesn't hurt you. So that you can handle the blessing. Now, I'll talk about that more in just a few minutes. But would love to see you be a part of that. We're going to receive our offering uh, at this time. Uh, just a quick update. It was a month ago um, that I began to talk, five weeks today, but uh, over the last four, that I began to talk about financially what we needed from our church, where we are today and what we're trying to do. So we've had more than 40 brand new givers uh, who have become part of the giving at Jubilee, which is absolutely, couldn't ask for more than that. That is wonderful. Um, here's how it needs to be looked at, though. It can't be a one, this needs to be our new way of how we do giving in our church. We need our church to become a part of it, not just a percentage to be a part of it, right? We need, we need you, and there's just no way to say that. I had several people when we started talking about this say to me, Pastor, we didn't realize there was a need. My goodness, uh, with everything that's going on, everything that we're trying to do, there is always a need. One person told me, you make everything look so nice. I, it, it doesn't seem like there's a need. I, I, is my answer to that 
to poor boy it so that people think that there's a, uh, a need then? Do you make everything look sloppy? Do you put out your stained tablecloths? Is that how you let people know there's a need? I don't think you do that. I think the house of the Lord needs to be done with excellence. Do you agree? Yes. Everything we do should be done with excellence, but that doesn't speak that, hey, there's no need. There is a great need and we need you. So thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your response to that. One-time gifts are absolutely necessary, but ongoing um, you know, weekly, monthly, however you do your giving. It's absolutely uh, appreciated and it's necessary. You can give online, you can give on the app, you can also give uh, with the offering boxes that are at the exits uh, when you leave the church. However you do it, thank you. And I would say this, if you sit here today and you think, Pastor, I wish I could give, but I can't, come to financial peace. One of the things he will discuss is how to get that into your life and how to see that happen. If you're like, I can't afford the 60, Come see me. Okay? You have not because you? You ask not. Ask me. If you need help with it, ask me. I'll help. I'll help in a second. Absolutely, I would help with that. So uh, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the opportunity, Father God, to give back what you have given to us, uh, to honor you, to bless you. It's a part of our worship, and we're grateful to you, Lord. Grateful. I'm thankful. As a pastor who can say what a generous church we have, and we have people who listen to the Lord and who respond to that. So, Lord, I just ask you, bless today. Lord, those who are giving, would you multiply it, increase, do exactly what you said. To those, Lord, who are struggling with that today or who haven't fully understood that, would you speak to them? Would you help them? And maybe financial peace is a part of that, Lord. Give them the boldness to come and say, help me with this, Pastor. Help me understand. Help me to figure this out. Would love, love, love to be able to do that. So we bless you, Jesus, and we thank you in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, Here's a little bit different today in that we're in between series, and every time we end a series before we start a new series, I always ask the Holy Spirit the question, is there anything that you want me to talk about uh, that's going on right now inside the church, inside of me that's relevant to be bringing out? I, just, I, I don't want to get so locked in that we're doing a series, 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 that we're not paying attention in between. Is there anything God is doing right this moment? Does that make sense? Yeah. So I do feel like there is something, at least for this week, I think for next week too, uh, and then we'll start the new series after that. This one comes from, if you have been around, you heard me mention in January that uh, I, I went to Egypt, and I went with uh, my son David, who's part of the missions department, uh, and his wife Hannah got to go, they're newlyweds. Part of, part of the missionary's job in our church, mission pastor's job in our church, if they're going to lead a trip, they need to go and scout the location first. Simply because in Egypt, we've never been before. Uh, Egypt is part of the 1040 window, and I'll hit that in just a moment. What's the security issue like in Egypt? Where are we staying when you bring a group of people uh, from Jubilee uh, into Egypt? What's the food situation like? Those sound like, my, isn't that taken care of? Absolutely not taken care of. And what we have found, if you leave it unspoken, uh, the person on the other end will have a completely different idea about what you would like to eat than what you would actually like to eat. Not that many people love eyeballs. And so, and you think I'm kidding. I could tell you some stories. But, um, and then uh, really important to us is just the missionary themselves. You know, we meet someone, we do it through relationship, but getting to know them, knowing that we can trust them. Folks, here's the bottom line. If we take a trip from Jubilee and something were to happen, something were to go wrong, and it's on us that we didn't investigate it first, can you imagine how that hurts missions in the future? Yeah. So the requirement is you've got to go, especially to a new place we've never been, you've got to check it out. And so David 
is leading his first trip uh, this fall uh, to Egypt. It's going to be the first one that he's soloing on, and so he's also responsible then to go and do the scouting trip. And he said, Dad, do you want to go with me? And he was going to go for two weeks. It is not on my bucket list to go to Egypt, to be honest with you. That's not like, before I die, I need to get to, to Egypt. Um, just not been there, but my son's asking me if I want to come hang out with him for a little while. And it's a chance to make sure that things in the church are going the way that they should go. So I say yes to it. And um, what's interesting about that is that we're there in Egypt almost 25 years to the day that God gave me a dream about starting Jubilee that had to do with Moses. And Egypt is where Moses' story takes place in the Sinai Desert and in Egypt itself. So it was really interesting. And uh, I'll just give you a quick overview of it. And then I'll tell you what the message is that the Lord um, has really been speaking to me. So this is not, I'm trying to show you vacation pictures. It was definitely not a vacation. Uh, I, I, you'll see when we hit this, there's really something here that I feel like the Lord is doing in me and in our church that's powerful and that's good. I think you'll be ministered to. But let me just, uh, real quick, we climbed. Uh, the highlight for me was, um, was Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments. It's where Moses would talk face-to-face -face with the Lord. When he led the children of Israel out of Egypt, uh, the first stop as they were wandering, the first official stop where they really stayed was at the mount, uh, the foot of Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is an important place in Scripture. Mount Sinai is where the burning bush took place, right? So it, th this place that I've been to Israel many times, but Israel's border stops uh, at the beginning of where the Sinai Peninsula is, and I've never been on that side where Moses and the children of Israel wandered and what took place. So it was a chance to see that. And for me, those are the things that I, I love seeing that part of the history and seeing the Bible come alive. So we spent a little bit of time in Egypt, and then we went into the Sinai and spent the rest of our time in the Sinai. Uh, I climbed the backside of Mount Sinai. There's a front side that they've carved out where you can ride camels and donkeys and horses up. You can even walk up it on a kind of a wide open trail. Or you can go the backside with a Bedouin guide because there's no trail. And somehow my 29-year-old son thought his 59-year-old father would do great going up the backside of Mount Sinai. So I'm going to, 7,500 feet, which is, you know, so we go, well, we have 14,000 foot peaks here, John. It's half of what we do. But you start at 8,000 feet. So really, I climbed more than you did when you went on. So I'm kidding. Um, so we, we, we climbed the backside of Mount Sinai many times on that journey where I was saying out loud, I can't do this. I'm not going to make this. I need to turn around and go back. Uh, I want to go back to Egypt, is what I was saying. <laughs> There's hotels back in Egypt, please. Please let me go back to Egypt. <laughs> Spent the night on top of Mount Sinai with the Bedouin. Very cold, very interesting. Uh, the next day in the descent, we spent the night at St. Catherine's Monastery, which is the second oldest monastery in the world, um, and it's in Egypt. It's 17 centuries old, 300 years after the death of Jesus. They went back to find where the sites were. When Christianity became legal in Rome, Constantine's mother went on a mission throughout the Middle East to find where the sites were. So within, you know, uh, 250 to 300 years, they were going back because there were people who from the time 
Christ ascended, began to worship and build churches at those places. So at that time, you could still go back and find a pretty good idea of where the locations were at. And so this monastery, they built a church there 1,700 years ago. And what it was, the people who were fleeing from Rome, the persecution of Rome, went into the deserts. And they were at these locations while Rome was persecuting Christians. When it became legal, then she went back to find out where had these Christians gone to. That's how they realized this was the mountain. Does that make sense? Now, I mean, can you point to it and go, 100% Moses stood here and talked to God? No. I wasn't there. You weren't there. All we can do is there's great evidence for it and look at it that way. And so it's not about, like, did it have to be right here? But it's about that it was there. And it was a place that really spoke uh, to me. Let me show you a couple of pictures. Uh, This is me, David, and Hannah in Egypt. Um, I always thought in my mind to go see the pyramids, you had to go, you know, days and days out into the desert. It's literally right in the middle of Cairo. It's right right there. So this is in, uh, in Cairo. Go to the next one for me real quick. Uh, this is me with the Bedouin. Don't let the smile fool you. Um, <laughs> that is a sarcastic smile, uh, is what that is right there. Go to the next one real quick. Uh, this is sunrise on top of Mount Sinai. Isn't that beautiful? Go to the next one real quick for me. Uh, this was in a canyon that they took us to. So that's Hannah, David, uh, the Bedouin. Uh, right there, his name is Ramadan, like the Muslim holiday. Uh, wonderful man, and I have prayed every day for that man since I've been back. Every day for him. And then me, and then that's the missionary. His name is Tim. Uh, I think they're going to be here in May, and I'll introduce you uh, to them at that time. And then go to the next one, if you will. Uh, this is on top, very cold uh, up on top. So that's David and Hannah. Um, and then the next one is just a quick video of the sunrise and the surrounding areas. And so when you're looking right now, you're looking east and you're looking into Saudi Arabia across the Red Sea when you're doing that. So we're standing on the apex of Mount Sinai taking these pictures. Okay, um, so that's the quick update. Let me give you what the message is. Uh, Exodus chapter 3. One through four is where we'll start, and then I'll hit Exodus 24, 16 to kind of give away why this place was so special. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the back of the desert and came to Horeb. Horeb and Sinai are synonymous with each other. Depending on your translation of the Bible, it will say either Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. They're synonymous. There is a difference, and I'll talk about it in just a second, what they mean. It's just a little bit different location, top to foot. Um, But he's at the mountain of God. Um, And an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold... The bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. I said last night to the people, one of the, uh, not tricks, but one of the skills you need to learn in serving the Lord is that he wants us to be consumed, but never to burn out. And so many people get so excited with what God is doing, but they don't know how to pastor that. They don't know how to, to, to handle that. They don't know. So they just give everything away. Boom, boom, boom. God will surely, he'll bless that. And God gives you wisdom to know how to handle things too. So I think this is a picture for what we're supposed to burn and yet not be consumed. Does that make sense? So then Moses said, I will now turn aside. This is really important. Look at the wording. 
I will now turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn up. Now, look at this sentence. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here I am. And then go to the last scripture real quick. This is about Mount Sinai. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. Uh, wherever the glory of the Lord is is where we want to be. And that's what makes Sinai so important. It's called the mountain of God. So let me, let me just, uh, let me talk about what the Lord's been saying to me, what he's doing. I think it'll relate to you this way. In talking about Moses and where Moses was at, Moses was raised, right? He, he was a Hebrew, but he was raised as an Egyptian. In fact, Egyptian royalty, the prince of Egypt is what Moses' title was. Moses was raised with the Pharaoh's sister. Uh, he was raised in that culture. Even though he was a Hebrew, he was Jewish, Moses was more Egyptian than he was Jewish. He didn't even know he was Jewish until he was older. And when it was revealed to him that he was Jewish, Moses suddenly had a heart for other Jewish people who at that time were in slavery. All of Moses' kinfolk were slaves. Moses is living as though he were an Egyptian prince, right? So he's watching all of his relatives all of his background being mistreated by the Egyptians. And he's living this other life over here. And it bothered him so much so that when he saw an Egyptian mistreat a Hebrew, the Egyptian was beating the Hebrew. Moses, this indignancy rose up in his heart. Now, I'm not saying that murder is right, but he didn't murder for just any reason. He murdered because he saw an injustice. Does that make sense? So he murdered the Hebrew, hid his body in the sand, thinking he did a good thing, thinking he got away with it. And the next day he had to correct a fellow Hebrew. And the Hebrew said, what are you going to do? Kill me like you killed the Egyptian and hide my body too? Moses knows uh, the jig is up. I better get out of town. So at 40 years old, these are important dates in Moses' life. At 40 years old, he flees out of Egypt. He goes to the Sinai Desert and he ends up at a well. The well is his father-in-law, Jethro's well, and he actually meets his wife at the well, defending her from a bunch of ranchers. Uh, and at that place, um, Moses spends 40 years as a prince of Egypt, and at 40 years old, he leaves behind everything that he has, and he goes into the desert. And for the next 40 years, Moses is a shepherd. He leads sheep in and out for his father-in-law. He takes them out into the desert, and then he brings them back to be watered. Back to the desert, back to be watered. So just add it for me real quick. 40 and 40 is? 80. Dude, how many of you would think at 80, you could get a little bit tired doing that job right there? <laughs> like you have put in your time, and God, I've left all of this to follow you, and here I am out in the desert, and at 40 years old, I... I, listen, what I love about The Chosen, anybody else watching The Chosen? Like, if you haven't watched it, I would encourage you to watch it. Now, I'm not calling it gospel, but here's what I think The Chosen has done well. The Bible doesn't explain, it proclaims. Like Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He spoke into the darkness and he created the light. That is a proclamation, not an exclamation. Explanation, right? I, so then we're like, God, if you'll just tell me how you did that, I'll believe it. Even if he did tell you, you are not smart enough to understand it. It's where finite meets infinite, and there's always a crash of faith when those two things come together. He's God. He can do what you can't do. Do you agree with that? Thank God he can do what you can't do. Thank God. So uh, the Bible gives like these 
proclamation statements, and then in between, we get an imagination where we can figure things out. And here's what I agree about this. I think as long as it stays between the lines, color it any way you want to. And what the chosen does really well is it colors the lines in between the proclamation so that when Jesus calls the disciples, and we know that the disciples were messed up. Dude, he didn't call them and they instantly became mature believers. Right? He's with uh, uh, James and John and they get mistreated coming into a city. And so they say to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire on these people? And I mean, they must have been thinking, Jesus is like, yes, I give you the authority right now. Call down fire and burn them all to a crisp. I'm for this. Jesus looks at him and goes, what are you? You don't even know what spirit you're of. The son of man came to seek and save that which is lost. You imagine the disciples like, oh, probably shouldn't have said that to Jesus. And now you think they would learn from that. But how many times are they saying silly things? And we always think when we read the Bible, we sanitize it and we clean it up. Mary, probably 14 or 15, pregnant, no husband, and she claims God did it. Thank you for laughing because it's a hilarious story in the natural. Yes or no? How many people do you think, hey, let's have a vote. How many think God did this? She's the only one raising her hand. It's a ludicrous story. In the natural, and it absolutely happened. But we read it all cleaned up 2,000 years later. It was a scandalous story. It was a crazy story. Not only that, she's in danger of being stoned for claiming that God would do something like that. It's a, I, and so we read it so sanitized, digitized, uh, out of the realm of what it was really like for the... Mary had to bear the reproach of having God move in her life. And she was willing to do that because of what the results were. Think about it. So what I love about the chosen is it it colors in between the lines and lets us see this is what it must have been like. And I don't know if it was exactly that way, but I don't think we're sinning as long as we stay between the lines. Okay? Moses, the same thing. The Bible proclaims that Moses at 80 years old is leading his father-in-law's sheep in and out every day We always think Moses must have been a very mature person. He must have enjoyed that because he knew what God was doing in his life. Moses had no idea what God was. Moses is a fugitive from justice. Hiding in the desert, afraid to go back to Cairo. Afraid to return to the capital of Egypt. He's hiding out. And it's in that place that his job is to take his father-in-law's sheep in and out. And he's 80 years old. And he doesn't have a clue what his purpose in life is. We complain when we're 25 or 30 and we don't know what we're supposed to do. He's 80. We never think what that must have been like. But could Moses have been a complainer? How about this? John, could you be a complainer? Oh, come on, bro. Jen, is John a complainer? Thank you, Jen. Thank you. We know who... Spirit and truth is in the, yeah. <laughs> Any complainers in the room when it doesn't go your way, when it's hard, when it's hot? Okay, so whenever you think about Moses in this situation, can you see Moses at 80 years old having to take these sheep out in the desert? The desert is hot. The desert is not, I mean, it's strikingly beautiful from a distance, but you have to live in it every day. He's not out playing golf. He's tending sheep in the desert. Can you see Moses complaining? God. 
we're the chosen people? If this is what it means to be chosen, how do I get unchosen? There's no joy in that chosen right there. Do you imagine him saying to the Lord, you never speak to me, I never hear your voice. I'm out here just being obedient all the time and I never hear your voice. And suddenly there's a fire. And what's interesting about the story is if he'd have kept complaining, he would have walked by the bush and God was not yelling from the bush, Moses, I'm trying to answer your prayer. Moses, I have your assignment. Moses, I'm going to tell you what your purpose in life is. God waits to see if Moses has any faith. Because when Moses decides to go over and check it out, that's when the Lord says, it says, when God saw that Moses turned aside to see this great sight, then he spoke to Moses. And I wonder how many times we're complaining about where we are because we don't like it and God's trying to speak to us in the circumstance. So let me tell you what what these two names mean because this is really interesting. Sinai, uh, from the Hebrew, translates directly into bramble or thorn. Bramble or thorn. Now, we don't have a lot of bramble bushes here in Colorado, but growing up in the South, we had a lot of blackberry bushes all over the place. Anybody ever pick blackberries? Okay, besides the fruit on a blackberry bush, what else does a blackberry bush have? Thorns. Did you hear that, everybody? Thorns. How do you know? Because you get stuck by a thorn if you try to pick a bear. So here, by implication, here's what this means. The bush that Moses was spoken to was a thorn bush. It was a bramble bush. The thorny place that Moses is at. The word Horeb, which is interchangeable with Sinai, means wasteland. Means having to fight. Means having to dig deep to be able to live. So get the picture. Moses has been brought to a place by God that's thorny and it looks like a wasteland. The very place that Moses would have said is cursed of God is the very place God brought him in order to speak to him. And I wonder if you're in a thorny place or a dry place or what feels like a wasteland right now. I wonder if you're going through something where you're just like, what have I done wrong? Why has God left me? Why has he forsaken me? Even Jesus said the words when he felt it on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. Uh, By the way, let's just compare Moses with Jesus real quick. Moses had to do it at much longer intervals, but Moses, (laughs) this is interesting. Moses spends the first 40 years of his life in royalty in, in, in Cairo in Egypt, right? Then he spends 40 years in the desert to get the call from God to go and lead the children of Israel out of bondage. And then he goes back to the desert for how many more years? He wandered for 40. Moses spent two-thirds of his life in a dry and weary place where there's very little water. (laughs) And I just wonder, like when we're going through life and we're just... For me, I said this last night. For me, the place that God could probably speak the easiest would look like Hawaii. (laughs) What? With a golf course. That's where God speaks to you. God just never speaks to me on the golf course, bro. In fact, I end up having to ask for forgiveness every time I'm done playing golf. <laughs> it, I, just in my mind, it would be a tropical, beautiful, uh, well-watered, fertile place that I would come into, and it would be so easy in that place to hear the voice of the Lord. 
Now, I do believe it's okay to pray for those places, but I think before you get in those places, God takes you into places where he's got to take things out of you or put things into you so that you can handle the blessing. So listen, it's cliche, but it's the truth. Moses spent 40 years as an Egyptian, and it took 80 years to get Egypt out of Moses. You're part of a culture right now that we have learned to be so comfortable and at ease We put up with very little. So the whole idea of anybody preaching that you might have to go through some dry times, some tough times, some thorny places as a believer, we reject that. Let's compare Jesus real quickly. On the day he was baptized, where he got his commission. He comes out of the water. The Spirit of God literally speaks out loud, this is my son whom I love and with him I'm well pleased. And immediately Jesus went and did his first miracle. Does anybody know the story? This side, nobody knows. Okay, I'm coming to this side. Think about the story. Kathy, you heard the message last night, so you can cheat with me a little bit. Okay. No, that was, that was his first miracle. So let, hear the question again. Hear the question again. He's baptized. Comes up out of the water. This is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. And the very first thing Jesus does is he goes to the desert for 40 days. And what happens during the 40 days? He is tempted. He is pressed. He is crushed. He is fasting food and water. He is in a dry and weary place. And the Lord deliberately took him into the desert. This is a part of our faith, Old Testament to New Testament. But Western Christians have no place in their theology that you may have to go through something to have something knocked off of you, put into you, or to make you the person that God wants to use. We have no place for that in theology. Except it fits this way. Are you going through something right now that you can't explain? Are you hurting in a relationship? Is God asking you to do something that seems impossible? Are your finances upside down? Are you facing a report from a doctor that's unfair? Do you have a child who's doing something that you can't believe? What's your desert? What's the thorny place? What's the place where you feel pressed and you can't believe you want to get through it as fast as you can? I'm going to tell you something. You can't skip deserts. You've got to go through deserts. My advice to the children of Israel would have been learn whatever it is you need to learn so you quit going around this mountain over and over and over. And we say that now, but them's us and us is them. It's a picture of how we do things. And what God is looking for is people who can perceive him even in the desert, in the dry place. Instead of complaining, instead of feeling like it's unfair, instead of feeling like God's left you, forsaken you, done you wrong, when do we stop and try to perceive where is God in this situation right now? All right, now let me skip to where this place is. It is the one place in Egypt that I wanted to get to was Sinai. Uh, 25 years ago, this past January, on the 15th, so January 15th of 1998 ended a very dry season for me. So I've got to back up a few months before that to explain the dry season. I'm pastoring at Resurrection Fellowship. I'm the associate pastor. Things are going very well for me. The pastors asked me, hey, stay on. I'll make you the pastor. It, it was a time of blessing in my life, right? But listen to this. I was dry spiritually. Uh, The Bible uses words like this. The heavens were shut up. The heavens were like brass. I would pray and it felt like it hit the ceiling and fell right back down to the ground. 
I would call in the name of the Lord, and I'm used to him answering me, not out loud, but in my spirit. God speaks to me. And you should be able to say the same thing because Jesus said, my sheep know my voice and the voice of a stranger they will not follow. You should know the voice of Jesus. And the first thing you need to be confessing is, I can hear the voice of the Lord. The devil will tell you, you can't hear the voice of the Lord. Quit agreeing with a liar. Agree with the truth. You can hear the voice of God. You can, you can. It's got to start with faith. You've got to start with faith. You can hear the voice of the Lord. So I'm in this place. It's dry and I recognize it's dry. That's the biggest thing right there. So I wonder how many people are going through a dry time and they don't even know. This, this is like how you live your life. You should not live your life at a dry time spiritually. And yet there are places that we find ourselves in a dry time. All right, so I'm in this dry time. I'm calling out to God. God, where are you? And I just don't hear anything. Now, why would God do that? I believe not to make us feel rejected, but to make us press harder. When you seek my face with all of your heart, you will find me. How easy it is sometimes to seek him at the table in the morning. And that's wonderful. And he speaks to us. But sometimes I think he wants us come deeper with me. And the only way he can get us to come deeper is to be a little silent. You won't do anything unless there's a little bit of pain involved in it. True or not. We always think I want it easy. We all do. It's human nature. Make it easy. But you don't change in ease. You change when it hurts a little bit. It was hurting me that I couldn't hear the voice of the Lord. So I started doing this. The office would close at 5 o'clock. The building would clear by 5.30 or so. We had an upstairs prayer room. I'd wait till the building was closed, intentionally staying longer because I was desperate. I'd go up to the prayer room by myself. I'd lay on my face. That's what I would do. Lay on my face before God, and I would call out, God, where are you? God, where are you? God, I, see, I, always, I internalize. What's wrong with me? What have I done wrong? Instead of thinking, God, what are you trying to do? Interesting. You know, I said this. Ask the wrong question, get the wrong answer. Ask the right question, get the right answer. So I just, I, I'm hungry. But I have to do this every day for three months. By the end of the three months, on the 15th of January, literally, I'm not saying you do this. This is what I did. I took my Bible. Um, I got done praying. I don't hear anything. I lay my Bible down on the floor. I stand up and I yell at the top of my lungs, God, where are you? I'm here. Where are you? Crick, 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 crick. I wish an angel would have showed up. I wish the heavens would have opened. I wish the Holy Spirit would have descended. Crick, crick. So I get up, I leave the office, I go home, I tell my wife, I don't even want to talk about it. Go to bed that night and I have a dream. Now, God can speak to you through dreams. And I don't think that's the preferred way you should try to hear the voice of the Lord. I think your word should be the first way. I think the Holy Spirit speaking at the same time in your spirit should also be the way that you're seeking the voice of God. But God can speak through a dream, Old Testament and New Testament. He does that. Do you believe that? Yes. Now, you shouldn't live your life by every dream you have. Yes. Do you agree with that statement? So don't go home. Don't have a, like a big spaghetti or burrito and like, oh, I had a dream, Pastor. I am supposed to. Don't, don't do that. You have to discern if it's a spiritual dream. Here was my dream. Um, in the dream, Chris and I were going to go hear a speaker. Don't know who the speaker was. Doesn't matter. 
but we were excited because this speaker had this anointing on his life. People were being healed. People were being set free. God was doing the miraculous. And we were so excited. And so Chris and I actually left our house early so we could get a good seat. And I got there and we're like the last people. And people had been waiting, it seemed like, in the dream for 12 hours, 14 hours, 18 hours. And we're like in last. And I'm like, ah! And so I grab her hand and I put my elbow like a battering ram. And I just make my way right. And it's like people would part this way. They'd part that way. We get right up to the front. There's two seats right where we sit now. And we sit down. And right when we sit down, the guy begins to teach. Now, here's what made the guy teaching remarkable. I don't even remember what his face looked like. I don't remember what he was teaching. But he held in his hand a staff. Not a shepherd's crook like little Bo Peep. Not, not that. A staff. Like a walking staff. And so what made the staff remarkable was that when I say gold, you can't think like a solid piece of gold. It was the color of gold, but you could see through it. And it, the more he would talk, the more it glowed. And I leaned over to Chris and I said, that's the anointing. The anointing breaks the heavy yoke of bondage. The anointing breaks the rock to pieces. The anointing sets at liberty the captive. The anointing opens blinded eyes. The anointing pushes the devil back. The anointing lets the kingdom of God go forward. The anointing. And so I tell her, that's, that's what everybody's interested in. So while the guy taught, he'd walk with the stick and just like this and turn, kept it in his right hand. Came down off the stairs. There were three stairs, not five. And walked and just taught with the, with the staff. And so when he walked by us, I'm like fascinated by the staff. He walks back and I'm trying to get a look at the staff. It's on the other side of his body. So when he turns this way and he walks by, I get up and I get behind him trying to stand in silhouette and I'm trying to get close to the staff. And so he turns to face everybody while he's speaking, and I try to stand in perfect silhouette behind him so nobody could see me. But I'm trying to look to the side to see the staff. And then I realize how quiet it is, so I look up, and everybody's looking at me like right now. And I remember being embarrassed in the dream, like, oh, man. And then I look up, and the dudes turn around looking down at me like this. And I'm like, I am so sorry. I did not mean to interrupt you. I did not mean to... To do this, I'm just fascinated by this. So I kind of sulk back to my seat, you know, like, oh, brother. I sit down, and the only difference is when I sit down, I'm holding his staff. So wait, 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 wait. So I'm showing it to Chris, and it's just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And suddenly he's standing right in front of me, and I'm sitting, he's standing, and he looks down, and I just hand the staff back to him like that. And he takes it. And he says, is this what you want? And I said, my whole life, that's what I've wanted. And he said, you can have it. But he didn't hand it to me. He lifted it above his head and he struck me with it. Now they say in a dream you don't feel anything. I'm going to tell you what I felt. I felt like fire and electricity hit me right here with it. And it literally jolted me. You ever had a dream where you're falling and right before you hit, you wake up? Okay, so that, I wake up like, what just happened to me? What was this? And I can remember every detail of it and I'm writing it all down and I wake Chris up. The Lord's spoken to me. I have no idea what it means, but maybe the height of frustration is 
not a time where you're not hearing the Lord's voice, but when He speaks and you don't know what it means. Is that possible? It's got to be discerned. Uh, so I run to the office that day. Now look, what I'm about to tell you is going to sound absolutely like he's making this up. This does not happen for me every day. This happened because it was a commissioning for me and it took something supernatural to get me to do it. I run to the office that morning and I tell my admin, don't want to be interrupted today. The Lord has spoken something to me. I've got to figure out what it is. And so um, within 10 minutes, she's ringing the phone and I pick it up. Steph, what is it? She said, um, Fern Burdick wants to see you. Now, based on that number, how old, or that name, how old do you think Fern Burdick is? Very? Very is good. Anybody named Fern Burdick? Probably saw FDR in his, you know. So, um, Fern was a prayer warrior in our church, saint of God, widow. She just came, you know, a couple times a week, she'd just pray at the church, but just a prayer warrior. So Fern wants to see me. Now, I've said hi to her. I've, you know, but I've never had a conversation with Fern. But if Fern wants to see you, you see Fern. So I said, send her back. So Fern comes in. This, I mean, at the time, 25 years ago, she was probably 88, 89 years old, 90 years old. She points her finger at me. She goes, I had a dream about you last night, Pastor John. When's the last time a 90-year-old woman had a dream about you? <laughs> no, like in my mind, I'd rather her be 25 dreaming about me. This is night. So she, she, <laughs> she goes, um, <laughs> she says, Pastor, I saw the hand of God come out of heaven. His finger was pointing. He pointed right at you. He put his finger in his chest, and he began to spin like this. And she said, John, you caught fire. And she said, the funniest thing is it burnt you to a crisp, and there was nothing but ashes. I'm glad she didn't stop there. Huh? And she said, like a phoenix that comes out of the ashes, up you came and you were a new man. And she said, the Lord's put something new in you. Wow. Wow. Well, what does it mean? So Fern leaves. So now I've had these two things and I don't know what they mean. So I call my admin back and I said, okay, now listen, that was cool, but no more. I've really got to figure out what the Lord is saying. But 10 minutes later, the phone's ringing. Oh, no. John, a lady named Diane Eggie from Cheyenne, Wyoming, needs to talk to you. Now, I know her. She runs or ran the Women's Aglow Ministry for Wyoming. And it, if, I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a, a woman's uh, full gospel ministry. And I had done some speaking for her the previous year, but it had been months, and I didn't have some ongoing connection with her. So I take the telephone call. It's important. She needs to talk to you. It's very important. So I take the call. Diane Aggie said, John, I had a dream about you last night. Wow. It's the only time in my life this has ever happened. Do you believe me? Yes. People struggle with this because they're like, Pastor, that really happened? It really happened. Um, And she said, in my dream, she said, it was the scripture in Isaiah where it says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And then I realized, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And then an angel flew over to the throne of God, took a coal from in front of the throne, flew over and burnt his lips, and put the word of God to speak on behalf of God in his mouth. And she said, I saw an angel last night, and he burned your lips with a coal from before God. 
And she said it was funny, Pastor, because your lips, they were swollen so big. She said it was weird looking. She said, but as you healed, God's put a new message in your mouth. And she said, that's it. Bye, Diane. I'm not talking to her since that day. How about that? I'm not talking to her since that day. Um, so these three things happened. There was one other. I'm just going to cut to the chase. I go up to the prayer room, lay on my face. God, please, please, God. What, I'm, you're answering my prayer. You're speaking to me, but I have no idea what it means. Would you please tell me what it is? And the Lord speaks to me. You tell me what the staff is. The only staff I know, Moses' staff in Exodus chapter 4. Right after the burning bush, Moses begins to argue with God about why he is not the one. I'm slow of speech. I'm short of stature. I added that one. <laughs> no one's going to believe me. No one's asking for me to go do this. And by the way, who am I going to say even sent me? I am that I am. You tell them I am sent you. They'll know. And Moses is arguing with God about why he's so disqualified. And the Lord, it says the Lord's anger was kindled against Moses because of his lack of faith. He shows faith to hear, and then he doesn't have the faith to step into his purpose. So the Lord says, what's in your hand? And he's carrying his staff, and God says, lay it down in front of me. What's interesting with that, when it's laid down in front of God, it's supernatural. It turns into a serpent. It becomes whatever is needed. But when he picks it up, it's a staff that represents his authority to lead people. And as soon as I heard the Lord say it, he said, I'm giving you authority to lead people. When you lay it down in front of me, it will be supernatural. And I'll meet all the needs that you have. But when you pick it up, it's the authority that I'm giving you to go and to do this. So that when people ask you why, you tell them, I am sent me. We had nobody calling us to come down here. No building. Nobody asking, hey, we need another church. We came because God led us here in 1998. Douglas County was the fastest growing county in America. And we planted our church in a school with nothing else except the promise of God. I think I heard from God. I think I heard from God. Hey, listen, real quick. I'll wrap this up with this. We moved into the building. I've been very honest. My appraisal of the situation was, if Danny, if I could just get it through this difficult time of COVID, raise the money, sell our other properties, find the building, get it built out, and move my people into this building, the next phase of what God wants to do at Jubilee, we can move into it, a teaching and training center. The Holy Spirit can move powerfully. We have more room for more of what God wants to do. And we move into the building, and the greatest spiritual battle, maybe that I've fought in the last 25 years, happened. Immediately, we have trouble with staff. Immediately, we have trouble with finances. Immediately, 400 people do not come with us. And I'm wrestling, and I'm fighting, and I'm asking the question, what have I done wrong? And what I thought was going to be paradise was a thorny, dry, difficult, hard, almost feeling like a wasteland, like I had made the greatest mistake of my life. And I was complaining every day, walking in the desert. Where are you? Why have you done this to me? Why have you forsaken me? All I've done is be obedient. 
All I've done is what you told me to do. All I did was what I heard from you. I didn't do this for any other reason. I didn't do it because it's some stepping stone to another ministry someplace else. I'm giving my life to one group of people, Lord. Why have you done this to me? How, how dare I lay an accusation at the feet of God? How dare I? Who do I think I am? Aren't you glad God doesn't smash us in our stupidity? Yes? Good Lord, I'm so thankful. Jim, I'm so thankful that God doesn't react like I react. Huh? So I'm all just twisted out of shape. And then, hey, you want to go to Egypt with me? All right, I'll go. But I'm not staying for two weeks. I'm only going for one. And we have to see Mount Sinai. So we go to Mount Sinai, and the Lord reminds me. He reminds me. He yes. reminds me. Yes. And I read it again, and I see it again. And I'm so undone before the Lord. Because I've been in this place where I couldn't perceive what the Lord was doing in the thorny place. And when I stopped and saw it again, I stopped and I started looking around. What are you doing? What are you saying? And all of a sudden, man, God is showing me so many, like, I'll just give you one of them real quick. What's about to happen in worship for our church? Had you not been here, you would not have believed what's about to happen. And it doesn't speak to JJ having a lack. It speaks to the character of JJ to hang in there when everything else was going wrong. What a man J.J. is. What a man J.J. is. <laughs> Called him last night and told him, dude, you have carried weight with me that nobody else will know about. It's a heavy weight sometimes. And you just are like, I just want to lay it down. I want to go do something else. And there's, that's what we do. Enough of that. <laughs> but to begin to perceive what the Lord is doing. And funny, when I begin to perceive it, <laughs> it's happening all around me. So I'll just tell you this, within the next five weeks, I think we're going to experience some of the most powerful moves of God in our church we have Amen. ever experienced. So I'm going to say it out loud right now. Wait and watch. And by the way, I want you to take that journey with me. Get your wineskin ready. I've yes. been preaching it and yes. preaching it and preaching it to you. Get your wineskin ready. Yes. Get it ready. Don't be hard-hearted. Don't be old. In a bad way. <laughs> be old in a good way full of wisdom be a different spirit a Joshua and a Caleb spirit okay so the Lord's been doing this in me and I felt the Holy Spirit say I want you to take time tell your church and then ask them how many are going through things right now that you are just like I hate this I can't figure it out I think I've done right and this is not what I deserve I think I've sowed I think I've prayed. I think I gave. I think I had faith. I think I've been faithful. I think I've walked hard after God. I think I've stayed in that place. And yet I find myself, John, all of a sudden in a place where I can't explain, why is this happening to me? And the enemy is right there to say to you, because God is unfaithful. He actually won't say the unfaithful part. He'll say, because God is waiting for you to fill the blank in right there. And how many times we sin instead of saying he is faithful and he promised to never leave me and never forsake me. And by the way, that promise to never leave and forsake didn't happen in the New Testament. The one thing that God told Moses, when you go to Pharaoh, I will be with you. I will not leave you. 
I will not forsake you. And then Jesus repeats the same thing. I will never leave you and I will never forsake you. In your desert, the Lord has never left you. He may be a little more quiet than usual, but it's only to draw you deeper into him. Young man. Is it a difficult place? Is it thorny? Do you look at the nation and are you vexed? Like Lot was in his generation, he felt vexed like, ah, what has happened? What is happening? Where are we? Anybody? Oh, here's the good news. <laughs> Today's the day where we look to perceive. What is God doing in our lives today? Because he promised, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. And in the thorny place, he's brought you to it, not to do you wrong, but to do you right. He's brought you to it, <laughs> not to leave you there, but to bring you through. And you will be a new person when you come out of it able to do what God said. And let me speak to this real, <laughs> listen to me on this. You may have lived your whole life with your greatest purpose is, I made money, I took care of my family, I raised my children, I loved my parents, I was faithful to church, but you doubt that God had a bigger purpose than that? What if today's the day? Amen. And maybe the good part is, listen to me, you didn't have to be 80 or 100 or 120. So I felt like the Lord said, be bold and say that to people. I know that's a struggle for so many people. So, Pastor, you found yours. Good for you. But I don't know what mine is. I can't tell you because I didn't create you. But I can take you to the one who did. And if he told you today, it will melt all of the past. And I believe that God is speaking right now and speaking powerfully. So, Father, we love you. And we offer up the sacrifice of praise right now. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Church, let's say it. Thank you for what you're doing in my life. Thank you, Lord. Even if you have to say it by faith right now, even if circumstances don't suddenly change, God is still faithful, God is still good, and God is looking to see if you will perceive him. Look around. Find, find, find where the Lord is speaking in the situation. Maybe the message just helps you to understand there's a purpose for the pain. A purpose for the pain. God, do what you do today. I don't care if the person is over 80, under 80. I don't care, Father God, if they lived a life of luxury at one point and now find themselves having losing everything, maybe a fugitive feel. Lord, you are able to do in that moment what only you can do. God, call out of us destiny today. Call out of us purpose today. Remind us, God, who we serve Remind us, Lord, we're not just walking on this earth, wandering around. Lord, you have a purpose for what you're doing in our lives today. A purpose in relationships. Hmm. Father, thank you for your great mercy today. If you just say, Pastor John, um, you're talking to me, 
Would you just please remember to pray for me? Now listen. Listen. I'm having you raise your hand because it is a point of action for your faith. It's just saying to the Lord, God, I want to ask the right questions. I see there must be more. There must be more than what I have perceived in this. If it's you, would you just slip your hand up real quick? Pray for me. Yeah, yeah. Happened last night too. Happened last night too. It's most of the people in this room. You can put them back down. Lord, your people need your voice in a dry and weary land where there seems to be little water. But you are the glory and the lifter of our head. You are the one who when we come out of the wasteland, we're leaning on. You lead us into good places. You lead us through the valley of the shadow of death, not to the valley of the shadow of death, through. God is going to bring you through it. Cooperate, open up. Let the Lord have what he wants. If it's something that you're holding on to that needs to be taken out of you, surrender. Surrender. If there's something that he's asking you, or maybe you don't even know what it is, but God needs to do a work in your life, don't stand with arms folded. Open yourself up to the work of the Holy Spirit. God, you can have all of me. Not just the parts that I want, but you can have all of me. Have all of me. God wants all of you. He wants all of your heart. All of your heart. Do you hear me? All of your heart. All of your heart. Father, thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Listen, I've got one other important thing that I need to do. Would you please welcome Pastor Jonathan and Rebecca Murley up to the pulpit real quick with me? All right, now listen. Um, Ecclesiastes 3 says there's a time for everything under heaven. A time to be born, a time to die, <laughs> a time to plant, a time to reap. Everything has a shelf life. Some shelf lives are long, some are short. We never know. But what we do know is that our lives belong to the Lord for Him to direct. Agreed? So Pastor Jonathan and Rebecca are perceiving God doing something really important in their lives. Really cool that Chris and I agree with and can see. And that's what they're going to talk to you about here. Good morning, everyone. You know, we didn't arrange the worship set. We didn't arrange the message together. Um, but for, for a period of time, we have, have found ourselves uh, sitting in, in the desert asking, Lord, uh, what, are you, what are you doing? What, what are you doing in our lives? And this past summer in particular, we were probably two or three hours every morning, I'd be sitting on my patio just reading, trying to hear the Lord. And in many ways, Pastor John, just like, hello, hello, what are you saying? And hearing what felt like absolutely nothing. What felt like his voice was so distant, uh, distant from us. But knowing, knowing in my head that he is ever-present, He's never left us or forsaken us, and that he is doing, even when we don't perceive it, he's doing something. So trusting his heart and knowing this, but still walking through it. And uh, there was one time, uh, and I'll give all the credit to my wife because she's 
so more, she's so much more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than I am. I'm very rational. I'm very uh, reasonable. Um, and, but I know that what the Lord was, was starting to speak in, in my life. And one morning I was, I was sitting out on the patio and actually listening to one of the songs that we were, we were singing this morning, Good Shepherd, I'll follow where you lead. And I'm saying, yes, Lord, I'll follow where you lead. Number one, I don't want to actually because I feel like I know what you're saying. And because Pastor John and I have known, I was a teenager when Pastor John and I met, and I'm almost a half century old. It's a long time. And, and knowing what, what he's speaking to me, and, and I'll, I'll share this um, specifically, but we have something that we want to read to you guys, because I think it's going to very clearly explain the journey we've been on and, and where we're going to go. So we, we presented this to, to Pastor John and Chris a few weeks ago on February 14th. It says, Dear Pastor John, Rebecca and I and our family have attended Jubilee Fellowship Church since 1999, just a few months after they planted the church. And for nearly 13 years, we have had the great pleasure and honor to serve on staff. Even before stepping into our positions as missions pastors in 2010, we were actively involved in various leadership roles. Over the years, we have been given opportunities to grow and flourish in our gifts and talents and to take on new challenges that have caused us to develop into the leaders we are today. To say that we are incredibly grateful doesn't do justice to the gratitude we hold in our hearts. In this last season, God has been speaking to us that there is a new work he is doing in us. He clearly spoke to both of us these verses in Isaiah 43, 18 through, 18 through 19, emphasizing that he was about to do something new in our personal and ministry lives. That scripture in Isaiah 43 says, forget the former things. Now, when it says forget the former things, it wasn't the former difficult things. It were actually miracles that God, God had done for the Israelites. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Another translation, and this is what God spoke to me. When I was reading this, I was reading it in the New Living Translation. It says, see, I have already begun. Do you not see it? And I'm sitting there, and, you know, sometimes when we read Scripture, it's, you know, we're reading Scripture, it's, it's just it's reading things. But the Lord spoke to me. See, I have, I'm doing this. I've already begun. And it was like it, just those words, like the Holy Spirit just, just spoke that to me. He was sitting right there, and it's like, Jonathan, I'm doing this. Do you see what I'm doing? I'm doing this. And that was, the, that was the point where I said, okay, Lord, I, I know you're doing something. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it were the words that the Holy Spirit highlighted? As our pastor and friend, we have invited you into this process. As we take the, take the next steps on this journey towards discovering the new thing that the Lord is directing us towards. with what we feel the Lord is speaking to us and in our conversations with you over the last few months. It is with emotion, excitement, thankfulness, and faith that we respectfully submit our resignation to you and Chris. 
as per the timeline we have agreed upon, remember this is a few weeks ago, our last day will be on February 28th, 2023. Between now and then, I will be handing over my duties to the fully capable hands of Pastor Sabi Thomas and Pastor David Leach. While times of transition can be difficult, we are grateful to move forward without fracture in our relationship and will continue to value your pastoral covering. There's a new ministry being birthed in us with global missions at the core as we launch from, from Jubilee Fellowship Church. As you always say, pastors, and I'll add also uh, missionaries need pastors too, and you are that for us. As you, have done, as you have done for so many other churches and pastors, you are launching us out from your ministry and we will take with us many lessons learned, friendships and memories from our time at Jubilee. From the bottom of our hearts, thank you for all you have done for Rebecca and I. And our family, we love you. Thank you. You know, Pastor John is, this is, he's a good man. I think you all know that, but he's an authentic leader. He's an authentic leader. The thing that was the hardest for me when I knew, okay, this is, this is what God is doing, was a 31-year friendship that there was going to be brokenness and fracture in that. And there is none of that. And it's, it, it, the Lord has been in this, this situation but it's a credit to who our pastor is, who Pastor John and Chris are. And we want to just thank you and honor you for what you have done. So thank you. Yeah. So Pastor Jonathan and Rebecca will be, they'll be down here. We want to pray over them. This conversation started all the way back in September. So even though it culminated in something in February, we walked through it with them perceive what God was doing. Chris and I are in agreement. Um, the new thing is not ready to be revealed yet, okay? So when it is, it will be a part of what Jubilee does with missionaries. It'll be a part of what they're doing. They're not moving away. You'll see them from time to time. It's not, there's not a break in fellowship. Guys, the call is the same, but the assignment is changing. And that's part of what God does from time to time. And how the church handles that is really important. So there's not... Listen, I married these two. Married both of Jonathan's sisters. Um, I'm getting ready to marry their oldest daughter here in just a month and a half or so. Uh, dedicated their children. This is not... Um, and I've already told them I'm dedicating their grandchildren uh, when the time, time comes. So it's not, um, it's not a personal thing. It's not a... There's a war going on. It is, God has done something. Um, it's not how we planned it. The plan was that we'd retire at the same time and go to Hawaii. That was what the We, got, we the can't plan. forget the Hawaii yeah, part. That's, yeah, that's important. Yeah. <laughs> because we wanted to hear the Lord. <laughs> but listen, we belong to the Lord. And what the Lord does, we need to be able to do in our lives. And so I want you guys, don't put a hook in this. Don't make it difficult for them. Love them, pray for them, 
watch over them, pray for us. What will happen in missions, I don't know. We literally are praying about that right now and trying to figure out what the Lord is saying. Certainly missions has changed since COVID. It's one of the things that we know. The way that it's been done for the last three or four decades is not the way going forward it will, will be done. It's changing. And we want to be on the cutting edge of how that looks and what happens with that and what is said. And I don't want to give away more than that right now. But um, we're excited for this, even though it's bittersweet. It hurts our heart. <laughs> What's funny is Jonathan decided to do this because Rebecca thought she would be emotional. <laughs> I think in 31 years, I've seen him cry four times, maybe, something like that. He's just not that emotional like that. He is the logical, but his heart is fully in what, what the Lord is doing. And they have served this church so wonderfully well, so wonderfully well. My love, would you come up? Let's pray for them. You guys, I want you to stretch your hands forward, if you will. Let's agree together. What the Lord is doing in Jonathan and Rebecca is our support fully. And so, Lord, we love, we love, love, love this couple, Father. Love this family. Thank you um, for enriching our lives with the Merleys. Thank you, Father, for long-term relationships. Thank you that we got to see a dream come true. Thank you, Lord, for all the missions that have been served, the missionaries taken care of, the places the gospel's been preached, all the good seed that you have sown and all the track that you've laid. It's interesting to see what God's going to do with it now. And as the Lord is bringing out of you this new thing, as he's pointing his finger at you and stirring in you, and drawing out of you new gold, new resource. We are so pleased to be a part of what God is doing in your lives. And we fully support you. We release you to do what God has called you to do. There is no animosity. There is no anger. There's no doubt. There's no trouble. We bless you. We bless you, bless you, bless you, Jonathan and Rebecca. Bless your family. Bless the plans and purposes of the Lord. Please pray for us too that the Lord will show us what the next step is, and how we're to do what we do. But we thank the Lord that the kingdom of God wins in this situation. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. and amen. All right, my friend. Um, so as they return to their seats, what we'll do, uh, our prayer people will be here at the front if you need prayer today, maybe for even what we talked about in the message or something else that we didn't talk about. Uh, if you're new and you want to go to First Five, we invite you to do that and uh, um, get your swag and whatever else um, that you need there. It's, swag's the wrong word? No. Oh, swag. I don't know what it stands for, but it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, and otherwise than that, we love you. We want you to have a great day, and we'll see you next weekend. God bless you. Thank you.